Let's talk to interesting people. Let's talk about the process of seeing things differently. Let's talk about the craft of molding truth and fiction together to arrive at something new and exciting. And let's have fun while doing it. Welcome to the True Fiction Podcast. Today we are talking to a writer, director, actor, and producer. And it's all one guy. He has written for Cinema and Fantastique. If I got that right, and Starlog magazine, <laughs> Cinema magazine, and uh, Starlog as well. He's interviewed some of the biggest names in writing and cinema. Uh, welcome to the show, Gary Wood. Hey, Gary, how's it going? Oh, uh, God, how many times are we going to do this? Hey, how are we doing today? <laughs> Glad to meet everybody. Just dandy. So, um, <laughs> so I ran for five miles. <laughs> What's the worst thing about running for five miles, Gary? Uh, it's, it's the run back there, Patrick. It's five miles back. Didn't anticipate that. Next time, I'm going to run in a circle. Ah, there you go. <laughs> Thank you. Good night, everybody. <laughs> Stick around for Frank. So you have had a really an amazing career. I think a lot of people would like to be in your shoes. Um, yeah, you'd think that, wouldn't you? <laughs> Wrong. Go ahead. No, really. I so here's well, of course one thing we have in common is we have the military. We have, we're both in the navy, and that's when your career actually started, isn't it? When you're in your writing and yeah. stuff. Yeah, I was in the navy, and uh, you know how they separate the men from the boys in the navy. <laughs> I know you do. Oh, you know it. Uh, yeah. So uh, I had the bottom bunk. So yeah, I was in the navy, and you know, were you on a ship? Yes, I was, and I was on the bottom bunk too. <laughs> surprised i didn't run into you i know uh, really uh so yeah i uh i was on the uss nassau which is kind of a uh almost an aircraft carrier it's a little baby aircraft carrier but it's so big floating city gator gator navy uh, buddy yeah. there yeah grunt carrier yep. uh and you know you just got a lot of time on your hands <laughs> so like <laughs> you know i've always wanted to write <laughs> and i bought a actually probably two years before that when i was in boot camp um well not boot camp but a school in chicago up north of chicago and uh i bought a book for 75 cents from a flea market at mall and it was how to write a screenplay i'm like i want to write a screenplay didn't crack it open until i was on the ship in the middle of the ocean i'm like i should probably take this with me read it so i read it and i just taught myself uh you know got sid field's books um you know i mean but it's a continuing thing i still listen to podcasts all the time uh the q a and uh the writers guild podcast and you know and directors podcast dga has a great podcast which is cool as hell what do you do, uh, do you remember the name of it the dga podcast yeah just dga i or? think it's called the dga podcast <laughs> would be a great name for it, really. I think that'd be very fitting. I think the actual name of it. I think that may be a little too on the nose, though. Uh, I think it's called the Final Cut, I believe, actually. Not Final Cut like the video editing software. But, uh, yeah. And uh, Q&A with Jeff Goldsmith is great. Uh, if you look up his old ones, which was the Creative Screenwriting Podcast, he's got a lot of them on there. And some of them are just, like, just amazing things you know amazingly informative and just and one of the best thing i like about jeff goldsmith is he always he asks the same questions you know and they're not boring and everybody's got different answers and he always asks them what is your routine 
write, do you write in the morning? Do you write in the evening? Do you write, you know, uh, you know, do you write, do you give yourself a page count before you're done or do you give it time or whatever? Sure. So yeah. It just kind of, it kind of like, as, as I was writing, I was always like, I'm not doing this right. I should be writing every minute of every day. <laughs> you know, and then you, know, you come to find out there's no rules. You write when you feel like writing, you know, unless there's a deadline and then you got to buckle down, you know? Uh, so I remember, uh, one of the favorite answers to that question was what's your, uh, what's your routine for writing the cohen brothers said uh we nap a lot <laughs> wow <laughs> and um, like she said yeah my wife will come in the room we're asleep and they're like she's like what are you doing we're working <laughs> but yeah um so yeah i started the navy i just started writing you know i just started i had a brother word processor now i'm not normally a braggart <laughs> but i had a brother uh and it was you know i had to replace the ribbons um oh you had a ribbon huh that, yeah uh-huh. at <laughs> that time i i was just writing to learn you know screenplays but that's when i also got started uh doing interviews and i came to we went to haifa israel i was homesick i was broke i didn't want to go out i'm like i don't care about israel i don't even know where it is <laughs> like, where am i at <laughs> the guys came back that night and said oh my god you're not gonna believe this we ran into you know that guy from the rockford files like james garner no no the other guy angel like oh yeah we met him and lewis gossett jr his stunt double was there and we partying with him and everything i'm like really why because wow. they're filming why? iron eagle too <laughs> and because now i know you know the, the the iron eagle movies weren't uh sanctioned by the dod so they had to go to israel so all the equipment oh, wow. that we used was israel's right so they're shooting that there and this thing i'm like holy shit <laughs> i'm like i'm going out so i go out <laughs> the next night and pay phones and you know we didn't have self this was an 80 probably like 85 or six something like that I remember and that. uh uh i made phone calls and you know i kind of knew how to get a hold of people but i hadn't really tested it yet so i think if i remember right i called i found out who was the the, the, the uh studio i called back to la to get the studio number I got the studio number and then I got the production office in Israel. So then I called the production office, asked to speak to the publicist, got the publicist. And I said, yeah, I'm actually in town with the Naval ship, U.S. Navy. I said, I'm not on assignment. However, my first goal would be get this in stars and stripes. And they're like, oh, hell yeah. Oh, <laughs> wow. They're not. Yeah, they're not DOD sanctioned. So anything they could do to get it, you know, so that that was a good. And I said, you know, plus I'll be going out to other entities, too, because, again, I'm freelance. I made made sure they knew I wasn't on an assignment, but uh, he did it. I went up with uh, in his penthouse. It was me, Lugas, the publicist and Jared Fogel. And uh, <laughs> we yeah. had fun. You had so a little wine. Doing, little yeah, dine. So my kids. <laughs> My kids to this day call Lou Gossett uh, Uncle Lou because that's what I hear. That's your Uncle Lou on TV there. Look oh, at him. Wow. Yeah, Daddy knows him. <laughs> <laughs> Reality is Daddy met him, but, you know. But at the time, too, he had just, he was pretty fresh. I mean, maybe a few years off of the Oscar for An Officer and Gentleman, which I love that movie. I still do. It was a great movie. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's, kids today don't even know what it is, you know. And it's like, you know, it's so good. <clears throat> and he was at the time, I think, the third black person to win an Oscar, I believe, third or fourth. Oh wow! But yeah, so it was a big deal. You know, meeting him. How much of uh, how actually, much? Actually, if you guys would like to just go away somewhere, I could. I'll just talk. <laughs> okay. You don't really need to ask me anything. Well, uh, we'll be back in about an hour. No. <laughs> All right, and I'm gonna take a shower. So I'll just <laughs> okay. Talk to you 
Yeah, remember, send those pics. Feel free to tell me to shut up. And hey, <laughs> shut up, let me talk. That's no, I'm, no, I'm, I'm going to interrupt you whenever I, you know, whenever. It's my show, oh, okay? You're uh, rude. You are the rudest <laughs> podcaster guy. You think that's the first time I've heard that? <laughs> <laughs> I know you're meeting Lou Gossett, uh, and I think that's, I mean, that's awesome. And I don't know if I could even, I would have been so starstruck. But I'm wondering how much, um, how much was he a part of the process of the film? Was he, was he a big part of the process, or was he just like this actor that's working on this job? Uh, you mean, are you talking about Iron Eagle 2? Well, that or... was that the one you were working with? Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. Iron Eagle 2. I wasn't working with it. Uh, no, I, but I you're writing about it. it. Yes, correct. But here's the thing. Yes, I talked about Iron Eagle 2. You always have to do that. But here's in the interviews, for anybody that wants to know, you always save that shit for last because you don't want to ask all your Iron Eagle 2 questions. This is a question. <laughs> this is what they want to talk about. <clears throat> right? And then they go, okay, I got to go. So you ask the questions you want to know first. <laughs> you make wow. them go through all that. And then you ask that. Any sensitive questions you leave to the last. I blew <laughs> that. So. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. So I said, so Lou, you and Jared, huh? <laughs> and uh, it was over at that point. No, she, um, yeah. So I actually, you know, it was my first interview. So I went, our ship was big. So I had a library. I went and looked him up and got his filmography. Again, there was no IMDB or internet. Uh, anything like that you know that's how old i am that's and, amazing because uh, i've been to a ship's library i know how amazing that is so yeah <laughs> yeah so and you know it's fully stocked fully stocked yeah uh, <laughs> but i think i found i don't know what i found i found something that had him in there and it had most of his stuff and then awesome. i filled in the blanks for the later stuff but yeah i was able to kind of go through it with him and say okay what are your memories of this why did you choose this just the standard bullshit questions you know i didn't have anything spicy or anything you know or any insights <laughs> so, so gary and, uh, but it just so happened mm -hmm. i was just gonna uh, my thought was what you're describing this was was your thought when you you started writing screenplays was you just wanting like you had this opportunity you took it with interviewing uh lou Correct, yeah was it was it that you wanted to get close to you know the the industry and learn about it what was what was i mean what was your thinking like that because you started out in your in your and you're writing and you're enjoying writing screenplays which you know is kind of a different thing than doing interviews and was it just mm -hmm. that you wanted to get close what was your thinking there yeah well ultimately i can say yes to that and that's part of that is yes uh part of it is i wasn't thinking that deeply however uh i just knew that i wanted to be a writer I knew that I loved movies. I knew that I thought movies. I knew that I see life in scenes. You know, my, my eyes are a, are a camera lens. <clears throat> you know, when I see something happen on the street, I rewrite it <laughs> in my head. Right. And I, I look at it from a different angle. And I go, what if we did this? What well, it's not a movie. They, it's done. Right? You know? <laughs> and so I knew all that. And they say, write what you know. Well, I, I was just listening. Actually, before we got on this podcast, I was listening to a podcast interview with Terry Gilliam. And he said something which really stuck the core with me. He said, he goes, my parents abused me. He goes, they loved me. They cared about me. They supported me. He goes, and God damn it, writers have to suffer. <laughs> you know? Right. I didn't have any yeah. of that. And I was, I'm in the same boat. You know, I grew up in a small town, Cloverdale. I didn't really live a life. You know, I mean, I did, but it wasn't a life that anybody can really identify with. 
except the people I grew up with. And so it was like, I had to, you know, I had to get out there and experience life before I could really write anything other than fiction, you know? Uh, but even then you got to have some, you know, some detail and truth to it. And you also have to hone your mind to think of things differently and to, to look at the other side of things and this and that psychology, you know? Right. So, it's kind of like, you know, right now we we're living through a, a, a something event that I couldn't relate to beforehand. I know. You know, yeah, so, no I mean, you, you, you had to experience some of this stuff in order to. Right. Exactly. You know, I had to get married twice and divorced. <laughs> you know, I'm serious. It I was had for to, the art, you know. That's yeah, what exactly. Was all about. And that's, they, didn't, they didn't get that. They didn't get that at all. <laughs> but no, it's like you have to hit bottom and drag your way back up. You know, I've, I've been there, man. I've been in bed for six weeks. You know, I've been dragged my ass out over the course of six, seven years, you know. And so, yes, you're young, you can write for sure. <clears throat> no doubt about it. And you can fake it. No doubt about it, you know. Uh, but the honesty of it comes with time, comes with living, comes with, you know, uh, you know, all that. Not that there's not some young, great writers and people like Hemingway and, uh, uh, you know, they, they wrote when they were young, but I think they'll all tell you they got better as they went. And, uh, you know, so anyway, the, yes. So the answer to that was yes, but the driving question was what I write about, write about what, you know, what do I know at 22 years old, 23 years old, uh, movies, that's pretty much it. Yeah. That's all I know. You know, uh, I know how to watch them. I know how to, <laughs> you know, I can make up stories in my head. I can, you know, but I tell you what, if you want to know, you know, who directed this or who directed that and who at that time, man, I had a brain like the K-Tail record, the best hits of the movies. And, right. you know, yeah. I pop them off yeah, right like that. I don't think I have you know? actual, I don't think I have actual thoughts. I just, every time something happens, I, <laughs> it brings up movie quotes, you know, <laughs> yes, I don't even exactly. realize it anymore. Yeah. Well, for me, you're right. Movie quotes and a song. It might be a song that was in a movie, you know, yeah. and I'll just go, you know, off on it. So, uh, yeah. So it was that it was like any way that I can write any way that I can get paid to write any way that I can get, uh, closer to people. And then later what you mentioned, Norbert, uh, when I got, I got a assignment from Cine Fantastic magazine to contact Stephen King and talk about all his movies and ask the question, why can Stephen King write a phone book and it's a bestseller? but they make a movie from one of his books. And this was at the time just before misery. Uh, and nobody necessarily really gives a crap. You know, I mean, right. yes, Carrie was a hit. The shining, the philosophy was the shining had three good weeks because in those days they said any name gets you a weekend. So at that time you had a weekend for Kubrick, you had a weekend for, for Nicholson, you had a weekend for King. So it had like three good weekends. Oh, cool. Right? Yeah. I yeah. Get that. Was it really, was it really, a, a, a wasn't really a huge hit, but it had three big weekends. Right. Uh, and then you go on and you get into Christine and you get into Shirt of the Corn and you get into Night Shift, not Night Shift, gosh, what was it? Graveyard Shift, which a friend of mine wrote. I'm not knocking that movie wow, <laughs> because, cool. you know, he, he's a great guy, he's a really great guy. And it was, I think it was his first film too. So, uh, you know, it had some good scares in it. It was just part of that onslaught of basically a shotgun of Stephen King movies out at the theaters, you know, just a blast. And even to the point where I think what kind of ended it was Lawnmower Man, where they took a, God, what was it, like a three-page story or something Right, like yeah, that, yeah. And they expanded it. And I didn't think it was a bad idea. Was that Pierce know, Bronson? I mean, What's that? Yeah, it was. You're right. And Jeff and, Fahey, uh, yeah. I, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, Jeff Fahey. I ended up talking to the uh, 
the uh, ro- uh, interviewed the oh gosh, Altarian Studios. I think that's right. Uh, they did the um, special effects, which at the time were groundbreaking. You know, it was all virtual. Everybody and, talked about those effects. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I actually got got to talk to them, and uh, I want to say Tony Gardner, but I think that's wrong. Tony Gardner might have been. I think I interviewed the, everybody behind it as well too. The TV. I think Tony Gardner person who did it it's been so long and i'm half drunk now so um the uh but yeah so then at that point when i started talking to one i found out that if you want to talk to somebody about movie making and you want to like there's a big movie out there probably not so much now but back then screenwriters were starved to talk to people because they didn't get any credit they didn't get any nobody wanted to talk to them right i want to talk to tom cruise i want to talk exactly yeah So if you ask to talk to the writer, boom, you're in. And then the writer can maybe help you get the director to talk, you know? So I talked to most of the screenwriters for all of the Stephen King films up to that point, including Misery. So Misery kind of dovetailed right into the end of my research. uh, And William Goldman happened to be the screenwriter. So Wayne Golden, a legend, you know, just died not too long ago. So give us, uh, remind us of some of the other uh, things he's done, William. Uh, Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid, oh, one classic. of the greatest books he's ever made. Absolutely. Uh, Magic with Anthony Hopkins, which one is of my, interesting. One of my favorite movies. I love that yeah. movie. Yeah, absolutely. Very cool movie. Uh, kind of a, a, a creep show, Twilight Zone kind of movie, which was, but, but well done, you know. Marathon Man, which was, as a kid, I saw scared the shit out of me. You know, did you ever see Marathon Man with Dustin Hoffman? You know what I haven't? It's one on my it's yeah, on my list, but I've never seen it. Yeah, you I've, gotta see it. Lawrence Olivier playing a uh, an old Nazi with a Assassin's uh, Creed blade in his arm. Wow. You got <laughs> me sold on that one. Yeah. Before Assassin's Creed. Yeah, it was it was <laughs> very good. Um and oh god, I'm oh Princess Bride, of course. The Princess Bride. Yeah. William no. Goldman wrote a novel which then became the movie that he wrote the screenplay for. So, I did not yeah, William Gold was amazing. He's also a little crotchety. I liked him, <laughs> but he's a little crotchety. And I kind of was intimidated, you know, in, in, in talking to him. Uh, but anyways, he was cool. But here's what I did was, I, my last question was all, again, last, not, don't leave with this. <laughs> but my last question was, uh, you know, was like picking the brain. I said, you mind if I pick your brain a little bit? I said, what's the best piece of advice? Eventually... And when I got into comedy, I learned to turn that around. Because, like, a lot of times they're like, oh, God, here comes that question again. Everybody asks the same question. So I turned it around to what's the best piece of advice you were ever given and by who? So then it becomes, you know, it's not their advice. You're not asking them. You're asking them. And who knows? The person that gave them advice, you know, might have been Orson Welles. It might have exactly, been, yeah. you know, and then you're getting advice from them. So yes, I, I did that. I also took a chance with a couple screenwriters, two or three screenwriters and asked them to read scripts. Uh, I was also reluctant to do that a lot because one, I wanted to maintain professionalism, not growing up in a small town i had that chip on my shoulder where i wanted to be considered a real writer and a real professional so i didn't want to do anything you know i you know and to this day i'm I'm, i have problems with that where like i'm not gonna ask somebody for an autograph i'm not gonna i've seen so many people that i wish i would have got pictures with them you know and i didn't because i just didn't want to be that guy sure you know but but now if you're you know if you're the avengers they're all like yeah let's get a picture (laughs) you know (laughs) uh but if you're the screenwriter you know, it's a different story. Now, screenwriters are much more respected these days than they were back then, which is which is awesome. Uh, so, um, so yeah, I did eventually get to that point where I realized that I don't know anybody. Hollywood, they say it's not 
not what you know, it's who you know. I don't I believe that. I believe it's a little of both, right. you know. Uh, who you know might open the door. What you know will keep you there. Yeah, right. That's, yeah, uh, exactly. For sure. But so since I didn't know anybody, I had to make my own doors. I'm and going then, to say know, I'm assuming that I've never been to Hollywood. I've never <laughs> done that. But I've always assumed if you've got talent, that may get you in. And then, you know, you get hooked up with the right person. Yes, that way, too. It's it's both. It's really both. And it can happen in many different, different ways. You know, I mean, look at um, God, I can't believe I can't think of his name right now. <sighs> the Southern guy. Gosh, darn it. As I get older, I, I really have a, a shorter recall, too. Um, he was in Tropic Thunder. He was this visual effects guy that said, Mother Nature just pissed your pantsuit. <laughs> um, he was uh, eastbound down. Um, oh, uh, Danny McBride? Danny McBride. Danny McBride, <clears throat> yes. Yeah, yeah. Kind of but, you know, he got started by he made a movie called the uh, the foot fist way about he's it's not great it's funny it's you know it's got a lot of funny stuff in it uh about a uh guy that runs a karate dojo in a strip mall kind of thing yeah. and he's you know acts like he knows everything you know it's Danny mcbride right it's his character and somehow it found its way into the hands of will ferrell and uh who loved it and shot you know said pass it around to all his friends and his career was born you know, so he didn't know Will Ferrell. It just somehow landed up, you know, in his DVD player or whatever. So and that's, there's those and kinds of stories. That's the Cinderella story of Hollywood. You know, oh, that, right. that yeah. happens, and it, I'm sure it happens all the time. Um, yeah, in different ways. It never seems to happen the same way twice. That's the thing. You can talk to your writer and you say, how did you get started? Well, here's how I did it. But that was 10 years ago, and that path is closed. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, right. you know, yeah, it's not going to happen again that way. Uh, God, now who knows how it's going to work after this whole oh, yeah. thing is over with COVID, you know. Uh, but the good part is the studios are going to be fine. They've just put everything on hold. They're losing money now, but they're, well, they're not losing money. They're just not making the money they're used to. But where it's going to really help people like me uh, is that Netflix and Hulu and all these guys, they're making out right now, right? They're still oh, yeah. making money. They're making more. Yeah. However, they're they, also burning through, they're burning through content. Yeah. That's, that's what we want to say. There's going to be a need for content, especially exactly. stuff that doesn't, doesn't require them putting up millions of dollars up front. Exactly. Well, so that's where somebody like me comes in. If I got a little movie like, uh, saving star Wars, it's already been paid for. It's already done. Uh, you know, I'm not watching it. Hey, Gary, there's a reason why I haven't heard of it. Can I, can I, I can I circle back for one second? What you was because I was in, really interested when you said you was talking to the. Screen. I don't go backwards, Norbert. Oh, well, that's I don't go a, I, well. Uh, it, Indulge me. That's not so, what I've heard. So, so at any rate, he, he was talking about uh, talking to these screenwriters about adapting uh, Stephen King. How does that? Did they? Was was Stephen King involved in the screenwriting process at all? Was he hands off? Was he? Was pretty it, much. Yeah. What, how did? I mean, the first did, the first movie that he was really kind of. If I'm re re recollecting all this, Craig, it's been a while. The first movie that he was really involved in to a large degree was the one that he directed, which was Maximum Overdrive, uh, which was, you know, horrible. <laughs> uh, and then, you know, Emilio Estevez in top form. He, uh, but he slowly, I mean, usually when, when somebody buys rights to a book, one of two things happen. Either they want them to adapt it, like Mario Puzo and The Godfather, because they want his name and they, he knows right. it better than anybody. Or they want to just get the hell out of here and leave us alone and let us do our thing. So I think the lawnmower man um, 
uh, suit probably scared a lot of people from that point. Um, he actually, I believe the next one, other than Creepshow, I forgot about Creepshow, which technically wasn't his, uh, but he was involved in it and it did well. It was a great hit. Um, but the next one I believe might've been, he remade the shining as a miniseries. You remember that was yeah. Weber and Rebecca yeah, it, was, Monet. it was not bad. I didn't think anyway, I enjoyed it. Cause here's the thing. When I saw, first of all, I was younger when I saw the shining, the, the Kubrick one, I didn't get it. I really didn't get it. It was scary. It was stylish, but it was kind of like all style and no substance. I just didn't get it. And then, uh, when I saw uh, the the Shining version on TV, when it was over with, I go, "Oh, now I get it!" <laughs> like, why didn't Cooper just say that? <laughs> so yeah, it wasn't. And I think it was a big disservice changing Kubrick changed it from the big croquet mallet to the axe. I thought that was a bad move once I saw the original, and that's how it was in the book. It was a big croquet mallet, right? Because right. if you think about it, you get hit with an axe, one hit, you're done, right? You can do some major punishment with a croquet mallet. Oh yeah, and you can it, get hit, and the chase continues. You could you know? feel you it, and and, it. and you could feel it in the book. I remember that part yeah. in the book. It was very visceral. Really, like, really, really. I've never. That's one of the few I've read just because it's so long, and I get an attention span of a piece <laughs> of pasta. So yeah, it's. Uh, so yeah, I felt that that was. I could relate more too. You know, I know what it's like to get hit hard. You know, right? I don't know what it's like to get hit with an axe. You know, hopefully I'll never know. It's got to suck. <laughs> <laughs> It's got to be in the, like the least top top five things that you don't want to happen to you. Uh, so the croquet mallet I could identify with. I don't want to be near it, and when it gets a swinging, you know. So I basically got to know you and your work from uh, Saving Star Wars. I thought it was a, uh, I thought it was a great movie. I thought it had. Thank you. Um, I think it had a lot of heart. I mean, uh, we it's five hours from South Bend to uh, to Terre Haute, approximately, <laughs> and uh, we did not stop talking about your movie. Now we that's cool shit. Did you do you do you, so that's where you saw it first was in South Bend. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. went to South wow. Bend uh-huh. and bought the copy, brought it home, and it looks so much better than it did on the South Bend screens. So <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. And, the projectors and, always kind of blow it out a little bit, make it look and not stable. knocking those guys at all because I. They did a fantastic job there. But Tim Tim Richardson, man, he's amazing. He's done a lot of good stuff himself. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. I, I, you know, the guy's always doing something interesting. I don't care what it is. It's still interesting to me, whatever he does, Tim does. So, uh, anyway, getting back to this, I, I, the movie happened before the, the trilogies and and, and the, the the movie happened before they made them. So, I mean, I love that. I love the idea, what you did. And, uh, it's funny because the other day I was talking to Norbert about this. Mm-hmm. And uh, he said, because I said, well, I think I want to talk to Gary about saving Star Wars, but I also uh-huh. want to talk to him about, um, you know, the whole Star Wars universe. And I said, mm-hmm. and he goes, and I go, and you know, the movies, the last movies, I don't know if he wants to discuss those. And Norbert sure. said, you know what? And this is exactly what Norbert said. You know what? Star Wars is like pizza. <laughs> yep, he said it. Star Wars is like pizza. Even if it's bad, it's still pizza. So... I, oh, yeah. that's, the, that's the first time anybody's ever used that on me. That's I, great. We use it all. The, I mean, I say it that's all the time, and that's awesome. where I got it. But now, now my question is to you: After this long, drawn-out <laughs> yeah. thing, can uh, you still say that after the last three episodes that have released? 
Oh yeah, I can't. I, you know, and I don't. You got. I take it just from your question that you guys aren't fans. Of the, well, no, we're mixed. It's mixed, really. Okay. okay, and yeah, I'm I'm the same way. But here's the thing. I'll say this right off the bat, and I'll piss off a lot of people because I do it all the time. One, if you want to blame anybody about the state of Star Wars right now, there's two people to blame. Actually, two entities to blame. Don't but, say me. Uh, huh? No, don't yeah, say one. me. No, yeah. uh, uh, uh. no, but uh, the first person that you should point your fingers at as to why we're in this situation with Star Wars. Whether you like them, whether you hate them, whatever. But why we never got the reunion of Luke, Han, Leah, Lando, Chewie. Why we never got that reunion. It's one person's fault. It's George Lucas. It's his fault. Absolutely. He drug his feet, and he drug his feet, and he drug his feet. And then he he claims that the reason he didn't want to make the sequels was because he uh, he got mad because everybody hated his prequels. Well, don't write shitty prequels, first of all. Uh, you know, make Star Wars. Don't make something fucking else that you want to make with comments on the Gulf War and shit like that. Well, here's you know, another... Here's another Star thing. Star Wars is at its best. Star, you can look at the man, uh, the Mandalorian too. Yeah. Star Wars is always at its best when it's just having fun. When oh, it's a simple tale. Simple tale. Yeah, that's and they that's wanna, how they want to talk about midichlorians and they want to fucking get into the theology of. And some people just shoot their fucking wad when they talk about the Jedi history and the Sith and the midichlorians. I could give two shits about all that. Just let me have fun. That's you know, what I want. That was uh, that was his. Uh, you know, it was brilliant in its simplicity. The first Star Wars movie, because I yeah, mean, he, exactly. he looked at all the history of uh, the the hero without a face, the Joseph Campbell stuff, and he mm-hmm. really put that in there. He basically made it yeah. the black and white. And then after the uh, after the first three originals, he he left that. Now I don't think he left it. I think they all decided we're going to make this pretty. But I agree with you. Here's one thing I want to say about George Lucas. Uh, that was lazy filmmaking for those the sequels. So lazy. Well, here's, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, I don't want to interrupt you again. No, go ahead. Oh, what, is that all you had to say? Because yeah. I well, agree. no. Okay, so what I was going to say is that the green screen they wet uh-huh. people's hair down so they they could green screen it easier. Oh God! And I'm like, you know that, and anybody that knows anything about green screen, when they see that, mm-hmm. you know, the guy doesn't yeah. have wet hair. Now he's got wet hair. I was just right. like, I'm kind of out of it That's now. Perfect. You know, I, just, didn't, I didn't even know that, but yeah. I, that makes sense. And you know, the thing is, too, it's like the people bitch about the acting. You know, you got some of the best actors yet of that generation. Natalie Portman, even poor um, Jake Lloyd. You know, who took so much shit. For oh that, yeah. You know. <laughs> And guess whose fault that was? It was George Lucas. He was the director. He didn't say, he, it's not like they just said, you know, I'm going to play this with no emotion. <laughs> I'm going to yeah. read every line like I'm a fucking robot because that's what I do as an actor. No, it was the fucking director that said, bring it down a notch or two. You know, I so, want to read it bland. Is that, the, is, that, is that George's fault or is that yeah. uh, Steven uh, uh, Spielberg and Ron Howard who both turned down directing those movies because Spielberg or George Lucas didn't want to do it. Right. Yeah. And and Spielberg said, he goes, these are your movies. You need to direct them. And again, Spielberg was trying to, or excuse me, Lucas was trying to do what he did with the first trilogy. He was trying to like, you know, he wanted to get it started and then he wanted to go hand it over, which, yeah. And and don't get me wrong. I'm lazy. (laughs) You know, I mean, writing is hard. It really is. You know, people don't understand it. I always liken uh, writing to exercise. You know, you don't want to do it. I don't want to exercise. And, you know, it's hard to get started. It's hard to get off the couch. It's hard to do your push-ups. It's hard to go for a run, whatever. While you're doing it, it's hard, you know? 
and you're struggling. To, you could quit any time. You know, you don't have to keep running. You can walk or you can just go back to the house and get the Cheetos. But once you're done and you've accomplished something, you feel really good. You're like, holy crap, I'm glad I did that. And writing is the same way, right? And But it's just procrastination you know it's like putting it off and putting it off and then when you get going i'm this way too like if i got a deadline i put it off i put it off and then i got maybe a week or i got two days or whatever and i'm jamming into it I'm like this is going great i wish i had more time <laughs> yeah so i got a theory for you gary and mm -hmm. what, what do you think about this so I, my theory is that I, I think that george lucas is what he is i don't know that he was a, I, I think he's a great in setting up a world, and he followed mm -hmm. this really good pattern in setting up the first movie. Right. And basically, that was his big idea, and he yeah. had this great idea for Indiana Jones. Mm -hmm. He wasn't he wasn't the mastermind in a way no. in a complete way. So he did yeah, what he could do, man. and he gave he gave us this. Like right. a like a he gave you a foundation that you could build on this, these incredible right. worlds, but he never had anything else. Right. And for people to get upset, sure. mm -hmm. it's almost unfair because it's like there was nothing else there. Yeah. And so that's my theory. I don't know, and no, so I, I don't I blame agree with him. you on that. Yeah, I agree with you on that. Uh, and as a matter of fact, if you take a lot of people out of the equation of the original Star Wars, take take John Williams out of that. How good is the movie? Yeah, you know? that's true. If you take Marsha Lucas, one of the editors who saved that movie in a lot of ways, how good is the movie? You know, we don't know. And we'll the casting know. director. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, so yeah, I mean, a director doesn't direct it by himself. It's a collaborative effort, but you know, they get it's their their authorship, right? So they get credit, good or bad, which can also go the other way. It's like I did my job right, but I got a crew that sucked. Of course, he had a crew that sucked. <laughs> That's why one of the things I find funny is the crew on Star Wars hated George Lucas. They thought this was a piece of shit movie. They were just getting paid. They wanted it to be done so they could move on to the next one, whatever they had lined up next, which is going to be better than this turd. <laughs> now, the crew people are making them Star Wars money. They're signing their names. They're, you know, they're showing pictures of them on the set. And, you know, there was a whole uh, documentary about the background <clears throat> actors. And those, those guys are going, you know, and they're like, they're all like, oh, here comes Bobby. He was in the movie for like three seconds, man. Why does he always show up? <laughs> it's, it's like it's called L Street 1977. If you haven't watched that, it's pretty funny. L Street? I might have checked that out. You yeah, know, these, these, on, it was on Netflix. these people, um, those people, no, these people are, these uh, people? they were in, you know, at a time when it all just magically came together. Like you said, you know, mm -hmm. there can be a, an amazing script and you don't get the right people. You don't get the right, uh, uh, right. Uh, people under the line or below the line and, you know, mm -hmm. or above the line. It doesn't matter. You know, you just get the wrong <laughs> right. people. Um, yeah, right. So, I mean, I, I think about, um, I remember when, uh, yep. the Terminator Salvation came out and, uh, or mm -hmm. was coming out and, uh, what was that guy's name? The, the actor that played in it, um, Christian Bale, Christian Bale. Bale. Oh, or was it, was that Sam? No, it was, it was Christian Bale. Well, Sam was in it too, yeah, Sam but, was uh, Christian Bale. Oh, right, right, right. He freaked out on the lighting guy. Yeah. Yeah. And, and um, and you and, and, you know, I are done professionally, mate. <laughs> yeah. And it was, it was so, it was almost embarrassing to hear him say that, but you know, I always think about this guy, this guy is carrying one of the biggest franchises 
mm-hmm. in, in movie history. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, he's probably a little nervous about things. So I think he's yeah. got because he said, you know, that after that blow up happened, they all they make they basically kissed and made up, and you that's know the good. guy's a professional. But but I I just I think that's a lot of pressure that people don't understand. I oh, think, absolutely. Look at the pre- and the pressure that you put on yourself, Gary. Like when you talk about mm-hmm. writing, what what's what is a time when uh, was there been has there been a time when uh, the pressure just got to you? Uh, during, <laughs> I mean, got to me where I couldn't function. Yes, but it was more privately, and it was more a lot of things. Divorce. Oh you know, yeah. Right? But it's not, but answering your question, uh, which I understand what you're asking me. No, I've always been able to function with help from others. You know, I, if I tried to do it all myself, that's when I really get stressed. Uh, at the premiere of Open Micers, my second film, uh, right. I literally went to the bathroom at the IMAX. I was so stressed, and I urinated blood. Oh my god! <laughs> I'm like, wow. oh shit! <laughs> I'm like, calm down. <laughs> and it was, it went away. It was just stress. You know, I mean, you know, stress can do crazy things to your body. Uh, you know, when I was in the Navy, I was having stress problems where I couldn't breathe, where I felt like someone was constantly choking me. I went to the doctor and they did all kinds of tests and said, yeah, you're perfectly healthy, which brings us to it has to be stress. And I literally asked, what does that mean? (laughs) And uh, he explained, he says, it means you're keyed up all the time. You're tense. You're like, and I sat there in this doctor's chair and I thought about that. And I said, I'm keyed up. I'm tense. Well, what happens if I just, I just relax. So I exhaled and relaxed and my neck just loosened right the hell up. I'm like, wow, this is cool. <laughs> so but now I don't know why you didn't become a self-help guru, because that's <laughs> awesome I think I'd be pretty good at that. I think I'd be pretty good at that, Pat. I'm telling you, especially after, you know, <laughs> you know, major depression and all kinds of other stuff. You learn, you know, and you learn from other people, of course. But, yeah. So, anyway, we'll go down that road. However, uh, the stress... It's just, I'll tell you what, what, the, what the best motivation is. I'm going to make you is. cry tonight. You know that, right? <laughs> okay, Oprah. Uh, <laughs> Look under your seats. <laughs> Remember Barbara Walters? She'd yeah. always have that one moment where she leans Look in. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. Go ahead. Barbara. I said you were going to make me cry. You get COVID. You get COVID-19. Everybody gets COVID-19. Okay. So the, the best thing to me to avoid getting in a stressful situation that you can't handle is sheer terror. <laughs> Give me an example. Give me an example. I'd never made a movie before. I didn't really have the script or really the idea. I just knew that I was going to, that, that celebration, what was it, two was coming to Indianapolis. And I'm like, I'm going to make a movie. Then I kind of slowly got the idea. And then I wrote a press release. Now, reporters and newspaper reporters are just like any writer, they're notoriously lazy. If you write a really good press release in the form of an article, that they can literally slap into their paper and put their byline on, they will love you. <laughs> Good advice. So that's what I did. And, you know, complete with quotes. Quotes from me that I wrote. <laughs> you know? <laughs> quotes from other people that were involved, you know? And uh, so, and keep in mind, this was before Dave Prowse got involved, right? So he was, it was a new picture. This was some yokel who says, I'm going to make a movie. I sent it to Bonnie Britton of The Star, and then she called me and she says, I loved your press release. I want to hear more. So we, we were on the phone for about 30 minutes. She asked a few questions that she basically then pe- peppered my uh, responses into my <laughs> press release <laughs> and printed it. So here's the thing. Now that goes all, all over the central Indiana area, right? Even probably Terre Haute and, you know, wherever. 
so this guy named Jerry Wood's going to make a Star Wars movie, <laughs> you know, or a movie about Star Wars. Right. Um, so at that point, I'm committed. If I ever want to be, you know, have credence or credibility to do anything ever again, I have to come through with this. So it was sheer terror that motivated me. Every day when I wanted to quit, every day when I wanted to stop, when it was 5 o'clock in the morning and I was dragging myself out of bed after we'd been on set 13 hours the day before, you know, I'm loading up the car myself. We had a pilot, Honda Pilot. I'm loading all the equipment in there by myself. And then I'm, at night, I'm taking it out again, you know, unless it was we're using it the next day. But we only shot on the weekends, so every Sunday night I had to unload it. But um, it was just terror. You know, and if something didn't work out, I couldn't go, oh, darn it. We can't get that location. I guess we're done. No, I had to find another location. You know, I had to yeah. and just things fell in place. Um, somebody once told me too, like, if you sit there and you wait for things to be in alignment, they never will be. But if you put it out there into if you want to get new agey about it, you put it out there into the universe. The stars start to align for you. They start to just because you put it out there and somebody else tell somebody else and somebody else and they need this and they need that, you know, and then it just all comes together. Oh God, here's a freaking awesome story where that happened. <laughs> I got a Perfect. Open micers, right? Yeah. The oh, end yeah. Of open micers, the end of open micers, the climax, it's, it's a story about a bunch of uh, stand-up amateur stand-up comics, open micers that want trying to win a competition to get the spot as the house MC for a comedy club. So they'll be paid every week. They'll open the show for the big names and this and that. Uh, and they all suck, you know, they're all, they're all bad. And, uh, I knew that bad comedy isn't funny. So we had to make it funny. Right. We're, so it wasn't about them, their jokes. It was about their characters. And so one of the characters, and it also it was a mockumentary. So it was, I call it like uh, best in show or the office set in the comedy club. So, uh, the one of the character you guys, you said you saw this, right? Yeah. Yeah. One character, uh, doesn't speak English. Right? right, and so when the camera's interviewing him for his interview, I was like, "No, no, no subtitles. I don't want any subtitles." <laughs> you know, we don't know what the hell he's saying. You know, and then I thought about you know doing the question marks for the stuff. Like, no, that's just too. You know, that's been done and done. So he, Apollo Bacala, came up with uh, what he. It's I guess it's like Tanglish or something like that. So we could understand a few words here and there. And when he said, you know, he's, and I wrote what I wanted him to say, and then he translated into what he said. And it was like, I want to be big like George Lopez or Timmy, Tim Allen or whatever. And so he's like, blah, 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 Jorge Lopez. <laughs> <laughs> or Timothy Allen, you know, just, and so it, it worked because people, he starts talking and people see there's no subtitles and they're like, what? And then eventually they get it and like, oh, that's funny, you know? And so at the end of the show, at the end of the movie, He's like the last comic that goes up and everybody's kind of sucking and, you know, weird things are happening and he starts into his routine. And again, nobody understands it. So everybody's looking at each other like, what the fuck is this all that? And all, all of a sudden in the back, you hear a little bit of laughter and everybody looks back there and it's his whole family. You know, they're all Filipino or, or you know, wherever he's from in the movie. Uh, and they start laughing more and more. <laughs> wherever and they they're from. Everything. And then slowly, I think it's uh, Mia and Chris first they look at each other and realize the hilariousness of the situation so they start laughing at the situation which then audience members look at them laughing and it's kind of then it's like the emperor's new clothes nobody wants to not laugh you know and like like so they start laughing and the whole place is laughing but nobody understands what the hell they're saying except for his family <laughs> right and so he ends up winning the competition because he you know everybody loved him even though right. they don't know what he said well shooting that we had the uh adams mark hotel over by the airport in indianapolis 
and they had a, an old comedy club. That's where we were shooting. And so, uh, Apollo <laughs> was supposed to bring all of his family that day. You know, oh, no. we, it wasn't easy to like line this all set. Everybody had to be there. You know, you got your audience members, you got your, your comics, you know, you got, they all kind of got to be there at a certain time. That's the hardest part, especially when nobody's getting paid, uh, you know, and they've cleared their Saturdays or Sundays or whatever to do this. It's really hard to reschedule. So we get there and Apollo's like, uh, I said, well, uh, is your family here? And they go, he goes, uh, well, actually, yeah, I got two that are going to come, uh, in the afternoon. I'm like, uh, we were going to shoot this first, first of all. And second of all, I need more than two. He's like, oh, so again, when nobody's getting paid, you can't go off on anybody. Right. You know, you go, right, okay, right. I'll, I'll figure it out. Don't worry about it. So I just put it out of my head. I rearrange the schedule. We shoot other stuff first and just, you know, you almost like you're just praying something will come up. And so we went to lunch and it was, it was do or die time. It was like, I don't know, you know what I'm going to do this afternoon. I just have to film some other stuff and hope we can get it all back together. So somebody comes running back to me and says, you're not going to believe this. I'm like, why? I said, she said, there is an international <laughs> hula <laughs> convention in the next room. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> I'm like what? They said, yes. And I was like, and I was, I, I would always eat and prepare and everything. So I, I didn't go anywhere. I said, well, I said, you mean they're like dressed up like Polynesian and everything? Said, yes. I'm like, holy shit. I'm like, okay, go talk, go find out who's in charge. Come back to me. So they came back and found him in charge. I said, you know, see if I can meet with him. So went over and met with them. And the guy was like, I said, we just need them literally for 20 minutes, 20 to 30 minutes. I just need to get reaction shots of them. And so, I go over the top guy. He goes, well, he goes, it's totally up to them. He goes, these people pay thousands of dollars and come from all over the world wow. for this. Wow. And, uh, you know, they might not want to do it. They're not, they're not going to waste any of their time, but they do have a lunch coming up. We're going to break for lunch here in a little bit. If they want to go on their lunch, they're perfectly welcome. So I said, as a matter of fact, we'll feed them. So, <laughs> nice. you know, so, so we got, as you see the movie, we probably got about 10 or 15 of them. And most of them were Samoan, Hawaiian, but it didn't matter what nationality were because we never mentioned them. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's brilliant. And they're all dressed out with layers and le- uh, that's what they call layers. Yeah, layers and um, and you know flower wear and everything. Put them in the back of the room and literally just said, "Okay, I want you, sir. I want you to kind of snicker a little bit. You know, okay, okay. Now the next shot, I want you to snicker a little bit. And the next shot, I want all three of you guys to snicker. Okay. Now bigger laugh, bigger laugh." You know, and then it was like, just, just go for it. Just go crazy. Laugh your asses off, you know, and they're all laughing and, and they were so into it and they're laughing their asses off. And then I said, Apollo, I said, now Apollo just, just finished. Here he comes. Apollo walks over there. These guys grab him. You see it in the movie. They grab him. They pick him up. They've never met him. They're having a blast. <laughs> you know? And, uh, then I, you know, we shot everything else and cut it together and they went back to their thing and never saw him again. <laughs> they signed releases of course yeah of course uh, but yeah so, so have you ever and you never talked to him again no that is awesome i wouldn't recommend planning that <laughs> no absolutely not <laughs> fortune smiled on out. you that day my friend no, it, I, you know i had a big sigh of relief like i can't believe we just pulled that shit off <laughs> so gary you started out as a writer and and you got into you know making films there's all kind. I mean, as an independent filmmaker, there's all kinds of disciplines that you're doing. You're doing writing. You're doing. You're getting people together. You're uh, Pure shooting. Grip, you know? Yeah. You're yeah. you're editing. What's your favorite mm-hmm. part of the process? I love pre-production. I just love it. You know, I, I like being able to slowly see your movie come together, and you know, create. If you don't know what a production board is, a production board is a big piece of cardboard. 
physical. Although I, I do, I use screen, uh, I use, uh, what do they call them? Sorry, spreadsheets. I make it on a spreadsheet, but then I'll print it out really big and put it on the board. And literally it's a vertical line for each scene. So when you go left to right, uh, down the left column, you've got all your cast up on the right, uh, the top, it's a matrix, right? Up at the top, you've got your scenes. And so you make matrix like, so you go to your first scene and you put an X where each cast member that's in that scene. It also goes down to the bottom then where you need, if there's a vehicle you need, if there's a, uh, you can do it with costumes, special effects, stunts, all that stuff, you mark these. So all the departments know on this day, you know, or this scene, we're shooting this and we need you for that scene, right? Cast knows, mm -hmm. right? So then uh, once you get the production board done, you can literally look at this big piece of cardboard and you go, there's my movie. It's every scene because it's sometimes if you look at it. It's daunting to go, God, I got to shoot this whole movie. Well, yeah, you, but this whole movie is finite. This whole movie is 236 scenes. You know, right. that's it. You, you know, film a scene, you got 235. How many? I, so, I, I can't even count the times that I've told my students that, that you're working on something that's finite. Put in yeah, this time. Yeah. Put the time in now. Yeah. Um, and I didn't understand that when I was a kid. You know, I, when you thought of, I wish I had an example, but if we thought of something, think, God, this, you know, it's the whole world. And I'm thinking, well, the whole world is just so many countries, you know, the yeah. whole, <laughs> whatever, right. you know, I mean, languages, there's only, and there's only so many words, you know, so, you know, this and that, you know, it's like notes, uh, music. How do you write a new song? There's only so many notes. Well, you put them in different orders. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So, and it's know, all and about perspective something. too. You know, you're, you're yeah, taking perspective. I, I love when people like, um, have you ever seen, uh, Rosencrantz and Gildenstern are dead? It's no, that's Gary Oldman, right? Yeah, Gary Oldman. Um, yeah, and they basically Tim it's Roth. Yeah, Tim Roth and Gary Oldman. They're fantastic, and it's basically it's a retelling of Shakespeare, right? And through the eyes of these other two characters, which is right. amazing. You know, it's it's so right. much fun to do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, and that's uh, I mean, people are doing that all the time now too, and that's always where I look at. You know, one of the things I thought would always be hilarious to do. I've had people warn me against it, but it's public <laughs> domain. I've always wanted to make a sequel to Plan Nine from Outer Space. I thought it'd be hilarious, <laughs> you know, uh, Plan Nine and a Half or Plan Nine <laughs> Two, you know, whatever. Plan three quarters, you know. three quarters. Yeah, somebody wrote a novel called uh, Ophelia's Revenge. It's a sequel to Hamlet. <laughs> oh, wow, <laughs> so, that's awesome. You know, that's creative stuff that you can, you know, that you can do if you don't. You don't have any good ideas. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? just steal uh, things. Yeah, or just elaborate on something. You know, take an old. You know, they do it all the time. I mean, uh, there's nothing new under the sun. I think it might have been William Gold Goldman who said that. He, you know, his, he's famous for saying nobody knows anything, uh, and it's true. If you haven't read Adventures in the Screen Trade by William Goldman, definitely read it. It's a must read. It's just so crazy. But uh, you know, there's nothing new under the sun. Star Wars wasn't original. We all know that. Oh right. You know? He just, you know, and every, you know, look at time travel. You know, every time there's an every every once in a while, a new time travel will breathe movie will breathe fresh life into the subject. And I'm going to say this: Endgame was not one of those. Uh, so, oh, you know, to that me, was like, atrocious, and I don't even like to call that uh, science fiction. To be, be honest, I was like, I was like, I'm like time travel. We're doing time travel. Is that what we're doing? Okay. <laughs> so, uh, so, and the thing is, with time, I look at time travel like in television. They always say. When they're out of ideas, when they don't know what to do, they have a kid, right? Yeah, and that signals the end. The end of the series, right? It's it's coming to an end. They married with children, happy days, you know, all of them. Modern Family had two with kids. Movies, so. 
the whole look at see i lost track of that but i love it double dead (laughs) but uh with with movies it's time travel (laughs) when they run out of ideas they go to time travel i always think of um like the terminator series which it's like once you can't pass like you go terminator and then terminator 2 it feels mm-hmm. like there's nowhere to go without it getting yeah, confusing fine. and convoluted. And it just, it's just, it, it, for me, it's like I've got to the place where it's just like I really, uh, mm-hmm. Primer probably was one of my favorites. Um, yeah, that prim- was really interesting. Yeah. yeah. Speaking but, of which, Saving Star Wars at the London Science Fiction Film Festival was lost to Primer. <laughs> oh, are you kidding me? That's aw- uh, Well, no. hey, if, if you're, you're going to lose it, anyway, yeah. That's yeah. awesome. Like, it's all right. <laughs> Sorry, didn't mean to interrupt you. No, no. Did you meet uh, Sean? Uh, I, you know what? I was so happy to be in London. I, just <laughs> been home. I didn't see any other movies. I think I saw one other movie, and it was the movie that beat me out for best screenplay. I was nominated for best screenplay, and it was a short one, so I watched that. But I was, I was all over London, man. I wanted to see everything. You know? oh, yeah. So uh, I didn't meet anybody really except for Louis and his staff, and they're great. Uh, but time travel, like you know, even movies like you mentioned. Terminator, look at Back to the Future. They breathed, breathed new life into it, made it fun, made it fresh. And then the second one, okay, they took another spin on it, both of them, Terminator 2 and uh, Back to the Future. And then the third one became about time travel. Yeah. So they time traveled their time travel movies. <laughs> well, you know what was really, really funny? I think it was Terminator 4. I'm not, no, it's Terminator 5. Um, they the, the idea in that movie was... You know, you can't change time. Basically, it's all going to happen. You can't change it. And then Genesis was about how you can change time all (laughs) all kinds of ways. So it was great how they just, well, let's try this idea. No, let's try this idea. After Salvation is when I kind of started losing touch with them, and I couldn't even tell you what they're about anymore. I haven't even seen the last one, but I'm sure it's probably entertaining, uh, but it also looks like more of the same. So. You know, you know uh, here's the thing, Gary. What yeah, I do, Terminator, so. yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> here's here's the thing that I try to. Oh, I, it, it just ends up happening um, when I'm watching a movie um, and I, it's not connecting with me. I start mm-hmm. looking at the scenery. I start looking at how the shots are set up. I start. I just <laughs> yeah. start tearing the movie yeah. apart that way, and I can still enjoy yeah. it, even though it's a stinker. Yeah. Or my mind starts wandering and I start rewriting it in my head. Or yeah. I start, you know, why did they do this? Or why did that? You know, uh, I don't want to go all Star Wars on it where I'm rewriting the entire movie because I could do that. But, uh, <laughs> you know, where, but at the same time, you're like, oh, you know, whatever. So, but yeah, you're right. There's ways, there's telltale ways where they lost you. And as a matter of fact, one of my favorite stories, which I used in Saving Star Wars, because uh, those of you who haven't seen it, there's a climactic lightsaber battle Absolutely. in Saving Star Wars. Which is mm-hmm. is not real lightsabers; they're toys, you know. So that you just blown the whole illusion for me. Those, those just, they hurt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we had no effects budget, so. <laughs> and I don't know how to make a real lightsaber. But although one of my funny, my favorite lines is that when when uh, Hank gets hit in the head with it, knocked out, and yeah. Joe finds him and rides him. Because he hit me with the lightsaber. If that thing had been real, it would have cut my head off. <laughs> <laughs> I like that one. So anyway, um, they have a lightsaber battle. Justin and I went back and forth. Do you think people can think this is stupid? I'm like, not if we do it right. You know, you can't just jump into it. You got to build it up slowly. And I said, honestly, if we if they don't buy the lightsaber battle, 
then we lost them a long time ago. Here's you know, they go with us. So you don't and, you don't measure Citizen Kane with as in the same vein as you measure mall rats. So you know, right, <laughs> right. And so Ivan Reitman, who I've heard him tell this story a couple times, who you know directed Ghostbusters, and at the end, of course, out of nowhere, practically comes the uh, Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. You yeah. know, not even really been mentioned. If you look close enough, you can see a bag of Stay Puft Marshmallows on Sigourney Weaver's countertop. Nice. That's about it. So. Everybody, he said to himself, he's watching it with the test audience. He's in the back of the theater. He's like, the Stay Puft Marshmallows getting ready to come into the movie. He goes, either two things are going to happen. They're going to tear the seats out of the theater <laughs> and go, what the? <laughs> or if I grabbed them early and they came along with me on this ride, they're going to accept it and they're going to go with it. And so, you know, Dan Aykroyd says, this Stay Puft Marshmallow, man. And there's a moment of silence, you know, where you see the feet and everybody's quiet and he's closed his eyes and he's in the back and he's waiting. And then all of a sudden the theater just freaking erupt. And what a great it's, feeling. It's in the history, right? So Absolutely. I use that same philosophy for the, for the Star, Star Wars lightsaber. But I told Justin that I'm like, man, we gotta ensure that we get them early and we bring them along with us. Then they'll buy anything. If we've done it right, if we haven't, then they're going to go, Oh, this is fucking stupid. It's a toy, you know, but we also know how bad those things hurt when you get whacked in the ear with one of those. So yeah. it kind of comes, <laughs> they're playing for keeps, <laughs> you know? So, uh, so yeah, that was one. I want to get back real quick. If you don't mind to star Wars, have you heard of it? Why not? I, a little film made a couple of years ago. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Made a little uh, bit of think, a cultural imprint. I don't think it's going to go anywhere. No, uh, it's a phase. Because uh, you asked me a couple questions, and I want to get back to. You. And I love, uh, I love stirring up shit <laughs> with Star Wars people fans that take it a little too seriously. It's a fun freaking franchise. It's fun, fun, fun. That's why it was a hit years ago. And I told you about it's Lucas's fault, right? Well, here's another yeah. problem: mm -hmm. <laughs> is that think about this. Why did Lucas make Star Wars Episode Four and not Star Wars Episode One? He said it himself. Why was that? I don't know. He, he wasn't. said he, he said didn't have enough midichlorians. <laughs> well, he 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 said it was because of budget, which is probably also true. But he, the bottom line is, he said because what you know when you watch a movie, the best parts in the middle and the end. He goes, you don't want to start a movie because it's boring in the beginning. So he yeah. started his movie in the middle with episode one. Well, he was right. The first three fucking episodes are boring. <laughs> they're they're dull. And he took three freaking films to tell us a story we already knew. Right. Right. You know, we already knew. When a friend of mine saw episode three before I did, and he called me, he goes, yeah, yeah, you're probably going to hate it. <laughs> I go, well, let me tell you what happens here, Joe. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Woody. It was Woody from Star Wars. I'm like, I'm like uh, most of the Jedi die. Uh, Padme's dead. Uh, Yoda went into hiding. Palpatine becomes the emperor. Boba Fett, you know, I'm just, I just went through the whole thing, right? Uh, you know, oh, Hayden's and, and, uh, what's his name? Anakin Christensen. Anakin turns into Darth Vader. Anakin, yeah. And, and he goes, I said, so did I miss anything? He goes, no, that's pretty much about it. And I go, he goes, well, something about, um, we got back to Padme. And I said, and Padme dies. I, I, we know that probably, right? But it better be sudden and it better be horrific. I said, if she dies in childbirth or something fucking stupid like that, and he goes, Oh, you're really gonna hate this! <laughs> <laughs> like, oh my god! But I didn't. And knowing by the that, way, anybody listening to that? Spoilers. So, <laughs> yeah. if you haven't seen I haven't it, seen it, I don't want to tell you. But, if you haven't uh, seen it, other, what the hell are you doing listening to this? <laughs> 
Oh, by the way, Darth Vader is actually Luke's father. Whoa. Oh. <laughs> I know. And Rosebud's a sled, and Bruce Willis is dead. Okay. So, um, at the, uh, it, it, as bad as I felt it was going to be, it was worse because, wow. but first of all, it's all talk. The third film is all talk. It's the same scene over and over and over, the same talk, same dialogue. And then they just made Anningen out to be the dumbest person in the universe. <laughs> because think about it. He's like, okay, I'll go with you to the dark side if you can save Padme. I can save Padme. We can do this. And then a couple conversations later, he says, well, you know, you got to save Padme. He goes, well, yeah, I can probably save her. There's this guy, you know, and then he kills Mace Windu. He says, but you got to save Padme. When I said save, uh, what I kind of meant was then Padme dies. He come, wakes up with Darth Vader. Where's Padme? About Padme. <laughs> All that stuff I was telling you, you couldn't do it. Sorry, my bad. At that point, if Anakin as Darth Vader or anyone else had any balls, or he would have realized he'd been duped. He would have killed the Emperor right then and there, and the story would have been over. So the whole story premise of he turned for love and he turned for Padme, and the way they did it was fucking stupid. Because, again, if you have half a brain, you know, you're going to sign, sign this on this contract here that says you're going to save her, you know, and you're going to make sure it happens, right? So if it doesn't happen, I'm going to kill you, okay? So, <laughs> yeah, oh, exactly. Okay. Well, I, I actually really think I think the best thing that happened in Star Wars for me, as you know, because you know I was young at the time when it first came out. I think is really Clone Wars. I think those are really solid stories. Um, um yeah, I, I think uh, you're right. However, here's and this again, this is a weird take on it, <laughs> but I can't watch those shows. Um, and I watched a few of them, and they are, you're right, there's some fun stuff in there. Uh, here's my problem with it. The same problem that I really had with the prequels. I know how it ends. Right? Well, that's true. And I know that, uh, look at Titanic. I knew how that ends. <laughs> but they gave us some stories in there, you know, to, that kind of told us how it happened. My belief is that, yeah. and we're going back to the prequels here, my belief that, you know, I'm the guy that's rewriting it all, of course, but why sure. not, if you're George Lucas, why not give us one story one film, episode one, to tell us the story we already know. At the end of episode one, Darth Vader's introduced. Then we get two movies that we've never heard of, that we don't know what's going on, and it features Darth Vader and Obi-Wan. You know, give us some new stories, but they didn't do that. So my problem with uh, the Clone Wars and why I have trouble watching is, is Obi-Wan and Anakin, one, they're our heroes, which is weird because we know Anakin's not a hero. Uh, you know, he's a villain. <laughs> Uh, or will be but not he will be right yeah yeah but they're fighting for the wrong side <laughs> you know <laughs> they're 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 bringing their own demise but they don't as far as i know they don't ever really utilize that as a story element which could have been really effing cool i'll give an example at the end of uh clone wars the movie episode two attack of the clone sorry yeah, uh, which I've seen twice, and the only reason I saw it a second time was because it was on the IMAX, and I wanted to see it on the IMAX. Oh yeah, and which was shorter and even a little better. But at the end of that one, I think I feel like a, an opportunity was really, really missed in that you've got Count Dooku, and we don't know who he is. You know, you don't know that he's Sith. You don't know anything. You kind of gather that he's a bad guy, and he's got the plans for uh, the Death Star, right? And he's going to go deliver those plans to Palpatine. Well, <clears throat> you know, they don't know, the, the good guys, Anakin and, and Obi-Wan, they don't know that the Palpatine is the bad guy yet, right? Right. So 
what if Dummies. they flip that whole freaking thing around and Dooku's a good guy. He's delivering these plans for the Emperor's Death Star, trying to deliver them to the Resistance or the Rebellion or whatever you want to call it at that point in time, right? To the good guys. Get Luke and, uh, not Luke, sorry, Obi-Wan and Anakin, <clears throat> who are fighting for the wrong side. They kill Dooku, they get the plans, and they themselves hand-deliver those Dark Star plans to Palpatine, <clears throat> who then develops it. Then it's on their heads. <clears throat> you know, yeah. It's totally on their heads that they did it. That is drama. You know, and that is is rough. <laughs> uh, I'm, you know, I'm now, not gonna. How does that fit in? How does that fit in with Anakin turning into Darth Vader? I don't know, but that certainly went a better way to <laughs> slowly bring him into the dark side. Uh, maybe he can't take that fact, you know, psychological, not just. Can you say Padme for me? Maybe. <laughs> well, I, I for, personally, I, I think of it sort of like like Matrix. I lo- we we all around here we talk about there was one Matrix movie. Mm-hmm. And yeah. we just had yeah, we just there's a, only one. There's only one. Yeah. And, but we love the anthology stuff. And I right. sort of feel the same way about Star Wars. I think about the first the the four, five, six. I love those. Yeah. I would I just rather have anthology stories. I would love to know how the Jedi's came to be. I know love to know the Jedi. You know, you could go right. ten thousand years in the past and or or in yeah. the future or something just to make it um, I would, I'm more interested in that than I'm anything. I don't care about how Anakin turns yeah. to the dark side. Yeah, it's kind of it's kinda, well, again we yeah you don't care. We just know he did, and we already. By the way, if you if you grew up with Star Wars like I did, I was like 14 or 15 when it came out, and I read everything. I already knew that he you know that he fought Obi Wan and he fell into a volcano or lava, or which again we all know is bullshit too. So you yeah. know you're not going to be dancing around lava and not bursting into flames. <laughs> So Not if you have the force. The force yeah, is exactly. with him. So um, that's pushing our, our suspension disbelief. But I think you're right. In that I think it's a good thing that the Skywalker saga is over uh, so we can get on to newer and better things. It was almost like they had to do it to get it done with. Because, to be honestly, honest, they were more than a decade late on it. He should have started the prequels in the 90s. He should have done the, um, the sequels in the early 2000s. And, you know, our heroes we would have been able to give us what we want. We would have an enjoyable movie. Carrie wouldn't be dead. Uh, you know, Harrison. And everybody's like... Harrison could Disney run. Over- yeah, yeah. And here's the other thing that pisses me off. Everybody blames Disney over Harrison Ford's uh, Han Solo being killed. And they don't know what the fuck they're talking about. It's like, blame, blame Harrison Ford for that one. You know? Yeah, he, he didn't want to, do want it to anyway. return at all. No. And he said, the only reason I will, way I will return is if I die because he wanted to die, you know, at the end of Jedi, you know, that whole story probably. But, um, you know, he doesn't really, he's not a big star Wars fan. He likes Indiana Jones, but he's not a big star Wars fan. Uh, so but, we're getting close to, uh, time for wrapping it up, but oh no, 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 we're not. <laughs> you committed to this. We're in this. Okay. Just, night. just so five more hours. Okay. Then. On, uh, five good. more hours. I got that. I can pull it in. I can pull it in five hours. So what but I no, no. I want to know about the McGills. I know it's a project that you're working on, and it sounds really interesting. I'd love to see anybody listening to this now get a hold of Gary and go. Let's let's do this thing. Let's do the McGills. Can you tell uh, us yeah. a little about that? anybody that's a movie fan that has money should contact me <laughs> because we haven't even talked about all the really good stuff. You know that's that's coming on the horizon. Uh, but yeah, McGills. Let me break that down real quick. It's a uh, 
it's like a limited series, maybe a 10 episode arc. I've only written about the first three episodes. I think I'm about halfway through the fourth episode, but it's about a guy. It's, I call it uh, cheers set in the comedy club. So you're going to meet the waitresses. You're going to meet the cooks. You're going to meet the open micers, you know, the regular customers that come in and everything. Um, but what it's about is a think of like Dane cook, who was a huge stadium comedian who then became a movie star for about five minutes. <laughs> right. And, yeah. Made some bad choices and now probably well, can't his, get a movie for him. His anything. brother made some bad choices too. Who was his? <laughs> <laughs> who was his? Uh, who was his money man and basically took all his money? So. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, he's wow. in jail. Now. Billy Joel, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh yeah, I didn't know that. But he, it, it, regardless, I mean, that's just financial. It's, it doesn't explain his choices of the movies. Very anyway. true. Yeah, and he, you know how, how? But it's just always there's always a backlash. You know how popular you get, there's coming an equal backlash for the most part. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that happened to him. Whether you like him, whether you hate him, it happened. So somebody like him, or pick another big comedian that was you know hot for a minute. He ends up going back to his hometown at the request of his mentor who owned the comedy club. His name is Uncle Fucker, uh, yeah. and he uh, takes over the comedy club when Uncle Fucker dies. <clears throat> is it Uncle so, Fucker's Chuckle House? Did something like that, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But eventually they changed it to McGill's because they figured they shouldn't have Fucker on the uh, <laughs> board outside anymore. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, so he uh, takes it over, right? But and there's a whole love story, you know, the the girl from blah blah blah. And it's funny because like, when I wrote it. The pre the pilot and I sent it to Justin, my partner. He wrote me back and he said he was really really surprised. And I go, why? He goes, what's well, funny? He goes, yeah, but he goes, it's actually really touching. I'm like, cool, I like that. So, and Justin's a tough critic. You know, tell you. <clears throat> he he doesn't hold back when I write shit. But uh, <laughs> so, anyways, but here's what the, what it's about. <clears throat> That's the storyline, you know, and everything. And it's the, you know, but what it's about is the state of comedy today is just a mess because you can't joke about anything you know nobody has a sense of humor anymore you can't do political humor the only way you can even attempt to do political humor if you make sure that you make fun of both sides and even then it's a question mark whether you're going to get away with it absolutely i've been in clubs before where the audiences were talking back if you made fun of trump you know or you made fun of uh name is whoever they Um, are yeah biden yeah whatever. whatever you know so and it's ugly right so but here's the thing if we go back um you know, George Carlin, Lenny Bruce, you know, Lenny Bruce went to jail sticking up for gay teachers. You know, he's a comedian joking about gay teachers. And he said the joke was, which is actually in the movie, Lenny, if you haven't seen Lenny, I highly recommend it. It's great. Dustin Hoffman. I've heard good uh, things. Where he says, um, he says something. Never once did the child come home having a gay teacher and say, today we spent 20 minutes on social studies and three hours on cocksucking. <laughs> so, and the, immediately the cops take him off the stage in handcuffs, right? And so he would always push those limits, you know. So it's, you know, he, he shined the spotlight on injustice and uh, absurdity. George Carlin as well. George Carlin always said, you know, I want to I want to make fun of groups or people that take themselves too seriously. You know, he was shining about the absurdity of it, about, yes, it's injustice. Yes, equals rights. Yes, women's rights. Yes, all this stuff. However, be sensible about it, because the biggest problem in our country today is not right and wrong. It's hypocrisy. You know, I always say, welcome to the United States of hypocrisy, because that's our problem. Sure. You know, you got the Democrats bitching about the Republicans who are doing the same thing. The Republicans and the Republicans are bitching about the Democrats and they're doing the same thing. So neither. If you think that one 
uh, political party is better than the other, you're the problem. And I'm always like, I'm always like, give credit where credit's due and give blame where blame is due. How the hell did I get on all of this shit? I don't know. That you know, just it's, that Lenny Bruce got to you. <laughs> oh, there we were. There we were. You know, so, uh, comedians, do you need to go? No, I was just going to say, David, Dave Chappelle, his his newest special, really tackles a lot of that stuff and throws it in people's face. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not a big Chappelle fan, but I think as he's gotten older and matured, I think he's probably, you know, understanding a lot of things like, so, like that. The, I think the greatest comedians for me make you laugh and also make you think. They're basically exactly, these. and they can make you angry. Yeah, too, absolutely, you know? angry. Mm-hmm. But and so that's the whole point about McGill's is that, and and through the side doors, how I get there. In that, when I was doing comedy and I was in clubs, I was always wondering. You got your waitresses who are women, and one of the standard things to do, uh, you know, when you're a comic is you're up on stage, especially when it comes down to tip your wait staff, right? Right. You kind of like you you pick a waitress or whatever, and you kind of make a joke about her or tipping her, or you know, she's got ten kids, you know, or whatever, and <laughs> and, and eleven eleven daddies, uh, you know, stuff like that, you know. But then one of the ones I did, and they, this is hack stuff, it's hack shit. Uh, but you know, you tip your wait staff because uh, one of them's about to have a baby. And you look around the room and you point to one of you because I have made up my mind. <laughs> and so, but in a workplace, which is, this is their workplace, that's sexual harassment, yeah, right? True. Especially today. Uh, so I was always wondering, like, what if a waitress actually went to the employment board or whatever and made a sexual harassment suit about a comedian that made a joke about her while she was doing her job? Now, would the employment board have to take it seriously like they would any other business? Or would they go, you're working in a comedy club. <laughs> what do you expect? Especially today, I think they'd have to take it seriously. Ripped you know? from today's headlines. <laughs> there you go. Dun, and dun, so dun. I got this scene that I, this is what stuck with me. It's in the third, uh, it's in the fourth episode where they're court ordered to have a sexual harassment training for the cooks and the waitresses and the comics. Wow. So you can imagine how funny that could get. <laughs> you know, I remember uh, they, uh, there was a, a Roseanne episode where they had to have that. And one of the guys asked, they said, harass, you know, don't harass everyone. The guy's taking notes. He goes, is harass one word or two? <laughs> you know, so stuff like that, you know, just, just you know, the, the comedian's not taking it seriously. One of the waitresses is a prude, you know, so it all comes full circle. But what it comes down to is then the sexual harassment people are watching the acts and they can't do this and they can't do that. How do you be funny? You know, you just dissect the jokes and what's funny about it is this and you're taking the laugh out of it, blah, 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 right? Uh, eventually, basically, the Cubs going to be closed because you can't have comedy that has those kinds of rules. You know, they're not funny. So it's not coming. It sounds so to me last- like you rode up to the hard part. Yeah, exactly. You were exactly right. Remember what I told you about me being lazy, lazy and procrastinating? Yeah, I've been procrastinating for years on this. <laughs> and it's, yeah, you're absolutely right. It's funny, too, because I said this to somebody else. I said, writing is hard, and the more personal it is to you, the harder it is. If you're writing about something that's about you or about the past, you know, hurt or pain or whatever, it's even harder. So, but what, how this story is going to end is there's going to be just a, it's going to end with the knockdown, drag out, no holds barred comedy routine where people are just saying what they think, <clears throat> you know, they're making fun of all the taboos now, you know, religion, women, it's just going to be all offensive jokes. <clears throat> uh, but you know, with the purpose, you know, yeah. to the point is that, you know, like, uh, Rick Overton, I'm actually going to contact Rick. I'm Facebook friends with him and we talked, uh, but he had a joke one time that was just hilarious to me. He was, he made some, uh, political joke, and then he goes, one day I'm going to do that joke, and there's going to be like men in black suits stand up, and just, 
and they waste him. And he goes, then I'm going to be on this big escalator up to heaven with other guys. I'm going to be, they're going to be like, why are you dead? You know, I'm a comedian. And they go, I go, why are you dead? He goes, yeah, I cured cancer. So, you know, that kind of shit is like biting, funny, and serious at the same time. Right. You know, so that's what it'll be more like that kind of stuff, but also funny, you know. Well, I, so anyway, I, that's I just want to say, um, I'm I'm in. I'm I'm definitely gonna be I definitely want to check it out. And uh cool. I wanna say if you keep the heart that you had in saving Star Wars and open micers, you'll do Thank you, man. Fantastic. That's awesome. That's yeah. what I said. I was told by several people that you can't make a comedy about a dying kid. And I said, you're, I believe you're absolutely wrong. I said, I, to me, if you put real shit at the center of it, if you put real dire circumstances at the front of it, it makes the comedy much more funny. Don't and forget meaningful. the puppies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, Hey, talk do, do me a favor on your side or whatever you're going to do, uh, or I'll be glad to come back again. And we can talk about the Steve Martin documentary. Oh yeah. And that's right. the, uh, and Fisher Fisher is the one that you know, we're kind of in the a a we're kind of in the majors right now, but we're not getting the majors. We're about a million dollars short of being in the majors. <laughs> That's but all. That one's going to be a big one. Let me check yeah, my pockets. Yeah, so if you got, you know, yeah, throw me some change. You know, uh, you know and absolutely, I, I'd like to do this again and uh, uh, talk to you, Gary. It's it just it goes so fast. Um, I really appreciate you coming on today and uh, talking <laughs> to you, us man. and hanging out. It's been a blast. Um, we're, we uh, we'll try to get you back on. Cool. Anytime that I can get and talk to somebody where I sound like I know what I'm doing and I can act like a big shot, I'm always there. You have a I'm wealth just... of information and a foul mouth, but a wealth of information as well. <laughs> Sorry. We'll take no, them both. We'll take them both. So that's fine. You didn't warn me about that. <laughs> Gary's great. I know your mom was going to hear this. <laughs> Sorry, Mrs. Boggs. <laughs> All, All right, right man. Guys. Hey, I had a blast. Thank you. Let's do it again, man. Absolutely, I got, I got we will. I'd love to talk about, and I won't cuss so much, God. No, it. you're fine, brother. You're All fine. Right. We'll talk to you later. All Have right. a good one. Bye, Thanks. Bye. Bye. Thanks for hanging out with us on the True Fiction Podcast. If you like what you've heard, please visit us at Facebook. You can also leave us a review on iTunes or through your favorite podcast app. Until next time, stay true and stay creative. You're too late Catch a ride somewhere else Catch a ride Catch a ride somewhere else